Almighty God. We're very thankful that you are in heaven. And though we are on earth and we are weak and small, you see, understand, and you are in control. And we do pray that your will would be accomplished in our lives. That, Lord, you would provide our needs, whatever they are, and maybe we are even unaware of them. Even through this message this afternoon, Lord, touch and convict and encourage and strengthen as you see fit. And Lord, beyond even our spiritual needs, you know all our needs. As a whole person, you've created us, and we trust in you. Father, we are so thankful for your Son who has died in our place, who has forgiven us the debt, who has provide, made provision for us to be forgiven from a debt we could not pay. Father, we pray that we would freely let go of any hurts, keep no record of wrongs, would not hang on to bitterness of anyone who hurts us, which is so trivial compared to what you've forgiven us. Father, we trust in you to help us to keep our desires under control and to subject ourselves to your will and that we would be able to overcome the tests and trials and temptations for we are counting on you. Speak to our hearts, we pray this afternoon. In Jesus' name, Amen. For this afternoon's meditation, let's turn together to the Gospel of Luke the 17th chapter, Luke chapter 17. Let's begin reading at verse 20. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or Lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say unto you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it all be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and is stuck in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. 
and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. The question about the end of the world seems to be a question that has been asked for quite some time. Here we find the Pharisees asking about when God's plan would be fulfilled. When the promised Messiah would come and deliver them and set up the kingdom of God. And we still have, even this to this day, people asking those questions. It's something that the young people want to study. What about the end times? And what can we know? And what can't we know? Even in this year, 2012, there's much speculation about Mayan calendars, etc. But what is Jesus' response to these questions about God's plan for the future and how it will be fulfilled and the plan for Christ's return and the true setting up of Christ's kingdom. We know the Pharisees, they were looking for a solution to their problem. Their physical problem. They didn't realize their real problem. They thought the problem was this Roman oppression, the fact that we have to pay taxes, the fact that we're not free to worship we're not free to, to fulfill God's law. We, the, 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 that these Gentiles were the obstacle to their being able to do God's kingdom here on this earth. And that's human tendency. We know from the garden that we like to blame other people as being our obstacle to really serving God. We think that there are political problems. There are people obstacles. There are issues outside of our control and other people's responsibility why we can't do the right thing and why we can't be the person God wants us to be and why we can't have God's kingdom here in this church here in 2012 here in Toronto here in our own homes and Jesus' answer cuts through all of the eschatology and speculations and rabbinical uh, discussion about the kingdom of God. And he says something that places the responsibility right back on the individual. And he says, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. This morning we read about how we should pray. We read about what the Lord taught us. That we should say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here Jesus is saying similarly that 
really, Christ's kingdom is where Christ is king. It's that simple. It's not about some glorious victory, not some bragging rights over other nationalities, not some uh, huge... uh, It's really, if you want to be a part of Christ's kingdom, you you have to own him as king, treat him as king, serve him as king, submit your will to him as the Lord of your life. Either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so that choice is not a choice that is dependent, contingent on your circumstances. That choice doesn't depend whether you're under Roman oppression. It doesn't depend on the quality of your um, children's obedience. It doesn't depend on other church members. It doesn't depend on your spouse. It doesn't depend on your government's policies. There is no external factor that you can point your finger to to say, I can't submit my will to God because him, her, or them. Because of my circumstances. Really, God's kingdom is within us. And that choice to submit our will to God's lies with us alone. And so the Pharisees had to be pointed to the real problem, which wasn't Roman oppression, it was sin oppression. It was that they were slaves not to Roman steel, but to a corrupt will in their own sinful natures. And that was the true problem, that Christ was going to set up a kingdom, and He was going to suffer many things, and He was going to suffer death and the penalty for sin so they could be free from that true oppression. But even after that suffering, even after that precious blood was spilt, even after those agony of hours on the cross and the carrying of my sin and your sin, the kingdom of God would not come unless they were willing to pray that prayer. Not some special magic sinner's prayer, but a true heart submission to the will of God in their life, the surrender to asking Him to be Lord of all. Then, he does say some things about the big end times question. After he says Christ's suffering, then he talks about what it will be like in the days of the Son of Man. We know that Christ will return. He will come as a king. He will come through the clouds. He will establish a kingdom here for, on this planet for a thousand years and then in heaven for eternity. And he gives us a little bit of insight as to what it's going to be like when those days will come. And he refers to two biblical precedents, two stories in the Bible of God's sudden judgment, God's unanticipated, well, even though there was warning, that warning was kind of ignored. It was thought, well, you know, 
Noah's been saying that for 120 years now. It's never rained before. We've only had this mist come up from the ground. He's crazy. He's weird. He's uh, he's just uh, a cult leader. He's just we're just going to pigeonhole him over here while we enjoy our lives because we got things to do. We got life to live. We're eating. We're drinking. We're into marriage and relationships. And that's our focus. We're living life. When people say, go get a life. Right? They're saying you need to go and enjoy the things in life, like eating and drinking, like having meaningful relationships. Is it wrong to eat? Is it wrong to drink? Well, of course, alcohol and out of moderation is a problem. The Bible speaks to that. But to enjoy the food and drink that God has placed here on this planet is, is something He's given to us. Marriage is instituted by God. It's a beautiful thing. The, the desire to, to become one, to, to love and be loved, to, to experience uh, what, to some to a small degree, God in the Godhead has experienced in this beautiful surrender of wills and, and uh, of, uh, the harmony as complementary roles become a, a, a beautiful whole. It's a good thing. So what is Jesus saying here? People were busy living life. Doing things that weren't necessarily sinful. Enjoying God's gifts that He had given to them. But they were so busy with living life that they ignored the giver of those gifts. They didn't think it was worth heeding Noah's warnings. They didn't feel any need to change their patterns of life and make God Lord of all. And similar in the days of Lot, we're now talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. We're talking about another dark period in history where culture was corrupt. Where uh, in Noah, there's day, the world, the earth was full of violence and lot. There was Sodom and Gomorrah was known for the immorality that was present. Where you know the the two angels that came to warn were themselves hunted uh, down for to, to be raped and and. Uh, but that's not what actually uh, Jesus points out here. It wasn't the gross sin that surrounded them, but they were busy. There was uh, Lot chose that plain because it was well watered. It was green. It was prosperous. It was a good place for business. Uh, things did well there, so he sent his tent door towards Sodom because. There was good money to be made there. Things went well in that well-watered plain. There was fertile and 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 
people made money well enough that they could live higher standards of living and start to focus on entertainment and non-survival things. And that's when sinful nature took those appetites and distorted them. They ate, also ate and drank. But they also got busy with business. They bought and sold. And they planted and they built it. Again, nothing immoral listed here. But now there's progress. We're not just enjoying God's gifts. We are working with those things and making life better. We are improving our situation. We're improving our standing of our bank account, of how big our buildings are, of how how prosperous our business is, about uh, multiplying our empire. You see a little bit more ego involved in that. And this false sense of progress, this idea that I can measure my worth by my dollar value, by my friend count on Facebook, by there's some way for me to measure progress. And I can build and I can plant and I can get yields and I can get uh, 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 profits and I can get earnings and per share. And I, there, there's measurements. And these numbers motivate us to say, okay, now that I've got numbers, if I can improve that numbers, I am making progress. But the progress is in something that isn't going to matter. God's going to send fire and brimstone down from heaven and everything's going to be burned to the ground and turn into a dead sea, into a salt-encrusted, uh, barren place for millennia. So all that stuff you're building is going to burn. But somehow we block out God's judgment we focus on the fact, but today I made progress. I bought and I sold at a higher price than I bought. And I built. And it's bigger now. And I planted. And look at the yield I got. From one grain of corn, I've got 157. I've got this, this ratio going on. And there's more money in the bank. And I can enjoy the fruits of my labor. I can eat better foods. This false illusion of progress. We live in a day and age. There's more rapid pace of life than has ever been. Technology has enabled us to be connected at all times. To communicate with people across the planet. And to um, do business at the speed of electronics. And to, to accomplish so much more And I know I myself have to be very mindful that right now I'm enjoying work. It feels like I'm making progress. This is exciting stuff. But how many hours am I going to spend on it? And what's the cost to the kingdom of God within me and around me when I focus on the wrong number of 
and measure of progress in my life. Because it's easier over here. It's measurable. I know with this input, I get this output. I put this seed in the ground, I get this grain coming out. And it's, it's, it's tangible. My relationship with God, not so tangible. But you neglect it over time. You will experience that barrenness. You don't sow into the relationship. You will reap lack of relationship. It's not immediate. You ignore your spouse. You don't immediately that day see a big backlash. But you do that over a period of time and you there will be consequences. You don't invest time in your child. And, you know, a day or two goes by without a huge impact. But fatherlessness is the biggest plague of our current generation. Children without father's involvement are 20 times more likely to either end up in jail if they're men or be promiscuous if they're daughters. The statistics are astounding. And we're talking about multiples of 20. Not 5%. 2,000%. The impact of our sowing in the wrong areas, or not sowing in the right areas. And the false measures of value and worth that this society would like to hold up to you. We talked about the temptations this morning that Christ went through. And this society will, will tempt you. They'll, they'll say, you know, woman, you are not worth anything unless you look like this magazine picture. Right? And you've got to spend money to go there. And you've got to... And, and, and there's huge issues with self-image as a result of these false lies that are being portrayed, that are being believed. And men, you're no good unless you own this or have this or can do that. Where Christ since the kingdom of God is not about cars and houses and beauty that's going to fade like a flower. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And if you lose sight of that and you get caught up with the rat race of life, one day it's going to abruptly come to an end and there won't be any warning. The rain's going to just come down from the sky, whether it's water or brimstone. And while it's going to be fire, we know the next time when the earth's going to be destroyed. But Jesus is going to come through the clouds and it's going to be like lightning. There's not going to be any reaction time. Our end, either you're ready or you're not. It's going to be who you really are that's going to be exposed. It's not like, okay, I've got a test coming up on Tuesday, you know, like, Son's got to go to driving school, so he's got to be prepared. And he knows he's there with the instructor and he's driving exactly the speed limit. Right? And because he knows he's in a test. Right? Unfortunately, this morning, I was not so wise. And as I came down the 400, I wasn't thinking about the speed. I was thinking about getting here in time to have a chance to meet with the brothers and I was going too fast. And, you know, the fact... The, the policeman just takes that one radar click and I have my ticket. Because it 
doesn't he doesn't do with warning and expectation. You know, that's it. I'm caught. There's the number. End of story. We're going to come. Jesus is going to come. He's going to find where you're at in life. If you're so caught up on your false measures of progress, on the busyness in this life, that you haven't been investing in your relationship with the Lord, or in the kingdom of heaven that's not only within you, but around you, there's not going to be any recovery time. You won't be able to hit the brakes and hope that He didn't see you. That's going to be it. Where the tree falls, so it lies. And so, there's no way to scam the system. There's no way to try to avoid and and play games. We need to be focused on the right and important things of the kingdom of heaven that is within us. The things that are going to survive the deluge, uh, that's going to survive God's judgment. The eternal souls that are going to be there for eternity. Not the things that we can't take with us. We want to remember Lot's wife. She knew better. The angels were hanging on to her hand. They're dragging her out of the city that she can probably hear and smell the destruction of. She sees the supernatural. She's aware of it. But in her heart, there's something back there. She's not sure she wants to leave behind. We need to decide what's really important. We need to say, as for me and my house, we need to say, I will no longer halt between the two opinions. This is what's truly important, and I'm not looking back from the plow and disqualifying myself from that race. Jesus warned us, don't get fooled. Don't get fooled by false messiahs, by false religion, and don't get fooled by false progress, by false measures of success, by the external, because the kingdom of heaven is within you. We need to pray that prayer with sincerity and build that kingdom. May the Lord bless us.